Okay, so today Dr. Peterson is back with us to tell us even more about all the ins and outs of stress, but more specifically, stress in relation to work. So work stress seems to be an ongoing problem today where many people report feeling stressed. So what is work stress and what are the effects of work stress on employees? Well, thanks, uh, Tony. Um, well, that's a great question. It's a great way to start off because work stress is a real issue today. Uh, most people, uh, majority of individuals, Americans, uh, report having work stress at work, some very high levels of work stress. And it's really about feeling um, either overwhelmed, anxious, and um, having some sense of um, um, you know, pressure related to their work demands, to the, to the type of work that they do, the, uh, the responsibilities and the control they have over their position. So it entails a lot, but the problem is, is that work stress has a real impact on our health. And that's really where, you know, a lot of people are, are, you know, they exercise, they may eat right, they may do all sorts of things that we, we try to get them to do. But in the, the notion, when they go to work eight hours a day, they're experiencing a, a job that is really having a negative impact on their health. And, and some of the things that people can do, they become, you know, they get very anxious or they get very stressed. And, and this stress actually can predispose people to various, uh, uh, put them more at risk for cardiovascular disease, for coronary heart disease. It can affect their, um, you know, their nervous system to some degree, uh, telling which controls the heart, telling it how to work and controlling the variability of heart rate, you know. Uh, and so people get heart palpitations at work and other types yeah. of things related to that. Uh, for some people, you know, when you're anxious, you, you secrete more cortisol, which is a byproduct of a stress response. And, you know, there is this condition that's called Cushing's disease, which is a disease where your body produces too much cortisol. And this causes people to put on more weight around the middle. So they get more abdominal fat. Uh, they get uh, more prone to insulin resistance. And they also have lipid disturbances. You know, all of these things that put them at a higher risk for diabetes, put them right. at a higher risk for heart disease. And then stress can affect the brain, which in turn affects the way the body puts out and handles cortisol. Uh, and so all these things can really kind of play a, a role in causing people to feel overwhelmed. Uh, you Psychosocially, you get the feeling of being what we call exhausted at the end of the day. Uh, you may feel so uh, we call ego depleted uh, or just just run down so much so that at the end of the day, if I asked you to go exercise or to do something healthy, you would just look at me and say, <laughs> uh, hell no, I'm right. just tired. I just want to I just really just want to take a, uh, my my remote and just sit in front of the TV and eat ice cream, because mm -hmm. honestly, that's all I feel like doing. Yeah. And a lot of people are in that boat. They have jobs where it really is um, improve, increasing their risk for uh, disease, increased risk for ill health, uh, because they just ha have a lot to do. And it's not just having too much to do. It's, it's not having control over what they have to do. Right. So anyway, so those are some of the things that can, can some of the effects it can have. Oh, well, yeah. I think that makes um, plenty of sense, because if you're spending like a decent part of your day, which in turn means a decent part of your life at a certain place that isn't a good environment. Um, I think it would make sense that it would affect your health, even aside from all the things you do outside of that environment. Yeah. So then based on your research and work, what would you say are the primary causes of stress at work? Well, I think there's a, a couple that kind of generally speaking, I mean, if you look at the research and the literature, they'll talk about, you know, work overload. They'll talk about you know, the ambiguity of your position 
Uh, they'll talk about world conflict. They'll talk about, you know, any number of things. But honestly, it really boils down to a couple of basic principles that I, you just kind of want to look at because it kind of, uh, kind of encompasses all positions in some way, shape or form. And the first one is really uh, having a demand and control imbalance. And, and what is that? And it, it means the demands of your job, the responsibilities that you have, there are certain things that are part of you, what, why you work in the first place. And if you have insufficient control over those demands, what we call high demand, low control, right? This leads to double the rate of heart and cardiovascular problems. It leads to a significantly higher rate of anxiety, depression, and demoralization. Uh, it also is, increases your higher levels of alcohol and prescription drug use, right? And it makes you also significantly susceptible to a wide range of infectious diseases, just simply because your immune system over time may be compromised by right. the added distress that you have, simply because you have high demands, but you can't control those demands. It would be like someone telling you, all right, Tony, you have to do this, this, and this today. But in order for you to do that, you need to check with me, and then that person may, in essence, um, manage your decisions, they, and you, so you become reliant on them. Right. Uh, micromanagement is literally a problematic health risk behavior that managers give when they micromanage yeah. people and don't allow them control over the demands of their position. It actually leads to ill health, and this is one of the things. The other thing is um, when you work really hard, all of us want to work hard, and we like to have uh, what we call the fruits of our labor. So that we work hard, we get some kind of uh, feedback, we get some kind of reward, whether it be salary, recognition, um, promotion, whatever it might be for the work that we do. So if you have put out a lot of effort, but you get very low reward back, right? It can lead to three times the rate of cardiovascular problems. It can significantly increases the rates of anxiety, depression, and conflict-related problems. And it also, it, it contributes to chronic disease um, um, risk factors such as abdominal obesity. And so all of these things can end up uh, creating problems for uh, the individual that, you know, working really hard, but not getting much back for what they do. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a person that, that has, uh, you know, high demand, low control and high effort and low reward, so you get both. Then right. you're really in a problem. You get three times the rate of heart problems, double the rate of substance abuse, through two to three times the rate of injuries and infectious diseases. Uh, also increases back pain and certain types of cancers, and as well as conflicts and mental health problems. All right, and this is because of the way the job is. It creates an environment, a toxic workplace, in which you're basically slave labor, right? right? And, and you have no control over what you do. Uh, another area, probably another third area that kind of uh, puts uh, is this is fair, what we call fairness, which is essentially the idea that, you know, that you perceive that your interests are recognized, acknowledged and given some reasonable weight uh, by others that perhaps are your supervisors. And um, and also and so and when those needs are when your needs need to be reconciled with somebody else's needs. Right. Now, if you have an unfair job, it would be one in which you one you people are willfully withholding information from you that affects your job. Right. Like I'm not going to tell you, Tony, what we're going to do about your job. We're just going to make a decision that affects you. And, and, and you say, well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> you know, you can't do that. I didn't, you didn't take me into consideration. Okay, yeah. That would be fun. And the other thing is what we call a participation failure, which is being left out or excluded from a decision-making process 
in which the out- outcome really has some material interest to you. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they, so I'm going to make a decision about your future, but I'm not going to allow you to have a say in it. Right. And well, okay. So you may change the way people do their work. You may change the way their demands are, their responsibilities, and they had no say. Um, and when managers do that, for example, that create that unfair job, it really creates what we call a negative um um, you know, emotional response, and it, it can lead to a lot of ill health as well. So those are three general areas. I mean, we could get into social support, not having that, right. having other types of things, but that generally would be some of the things that that have that effect. Yeah. Um, when you mention the whole control, demand, and effort reward imbalances, it kind of reminds me of when people talk about how they feel like they're at like a dead end job. Is that kind of like that? Yeah, it's it part of that. And that's what we call career plateauing. Mm-hmm. You reach a point where you can't go any farther. Right. And in many positions are jobs. They're not careers. Mm-hmm. There's no, and that's what they're, they're there for. That's the design of it. Uh, there's no upward ladder. We call it ladder of mobility. Right. And uh, many jobs are like that. In order for people to progress, they either have to change jobs or go to different institutions or, or, or laterally move to some other position within a right. corporation. To order to to get some kind of progress and growth, right? If they don't, it's it's not quite the same, but it's it it can have an effect. And many people, when they get in their forties, maybe early fifties, uh, that's when career plateaus kind of arise, mm-hmm. and people do get distressed out of that because they look back at their life and they go, "Is this all I am?" Right. And that creates sort of this existential um, sort of conflict, like, "What is my purpose? What am I supposed to do?" Yeah. And, where am I, where am I going? Uh, you know, was I good up to this point? Was my life what I expected it or turned out the way I wanted to? Yeah. Um, and can I make a, an effective change at this point in my life yet? Or is it too late? Uh, these are things that, that middle-aged uh, workers tend to wrestle with. Right. So you're also the author of the culture work health model. So could you tell us a little bit about what that is and how it relates Um to explain work stress, and then what role does work culture play in creating and preventing stress? Well, again, culture is a big topic. We could talk a whole lot on that, mm-hmm. but you know, really, what is culture? Well, it's the learned, shared, and tacit assumptions upon which people base their behavior. Um, and some of those things that we, you know, we talk about are, are the assumptions about human nature, about human relationships, about time and space. And what it takes to be successful at a specific individ- at a specific organization or as a um, individual employee, um, it's difficult really to identify it on your own because it can be very broad. Right. Because it, in, in culture is broad because it essentially defines the way we act, think, and perceive things. Right. Um, you know how to get along with a boss, how to get promoted, the attitudes towards customers, quality, productivity. Uh, what the sacred cows are at your organization, <laughs> um, you know, those type of things. But it's also very stable. And so the people don't like chaotic, unpredictable situations and work hard to stabilize and normalize uh, them. So, you know, you don't change culture overnight because right. people will have a big stress reaction to a changing culture. Yeah. Um, culture change, by definition, is stressful. <laughs> <laughs> And so, and so, but it's also very deep. It's very, it's not superficial because it controls you more than you control it. Right. And it gives you some meaning and predictability in your life. Uh, and that's what culture does. 
So when you look at the culture work health model, we're really looking at the, the underpinnings upon which a corporation or organization or even a vocation is based. So when you look at a culture work health model, you're looking, first of all, okay, what is the organization's assumptions about human nature? Are people inherently good or are they inherently bad? And if they're inherently good, well, we'll, we'll organize our, our organization one way. And if it's or, or, you know, inherently bad, we'll organize it another. Mm-hmm. And if it's bad, you'll be more controlling. You'll be more you know, punitive in terms of your rules and policies. Whereas if you're more, uh, if you view it as good, you'll be more motivational, more likely to uh, get people to collaborate, take personal responsibility and have more control over the work. You know, in human relationships, the nature of that, I mean, if you look at that, they would have a, you know, what's the best way to make decisions? What's the best way for people to interact with one another so that we can be productive as an organization? Do they work better in silos? Do they work better collaboratively? Should everyone right. be lateral or equal or should we be hierarchical? I mean, these are the decisions that people make. And in some positions, you know, it's better for in, in certain organizations to behave one way than it isn't to behave in another organization in another. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, these things, including time and space, like what does it mean to be late? What, is the, what, what does it mean to be to have the big uh, corner office with windows? I mean, these things kind of determine how the uh, organization structures, the, the policies they have, and the behaviors they expect out of their employees. And so it'll, it'll define the way managers behave. It'll define the way employees behave. I tell people, you know, you want to know what your culture is like? The first day, what is it that they tell you your first day of work? You know, what do they show you? How do they tell you to act? Who do they tell you to be aware of? What do they, I mean, yeah, all that's these good. things, you know, <laughs> the do's and don'ts, the shouldas and oughtas that you have to have in an organization. Well, it's, they're, what they're doing is getting you inculcated into the culture. Right. This is the way we do things here, right? And so ultimately, you know, how we structure and behave will eventually affect the way employees are, their employees' health as well as the organization's health. Mm-hmm. So organizational health is things like profit, productivity, performance, quality, those types of measures. That's what makes us competitive in the marketplace, right? right? And employee health are the simple things like, are they sick? Are they absent from work due to sickness? Are they injured? Those types of things. Are they mentally healthy? Right. Uh, and, and each of these things interplays because you can't have an unhealthy organization and a healthy employees. Because, I mean, look at right now. I mean, people who are out of work and who their organizations aren't, aren't, aren't doing well at the moment – well, they're stressed and they're unhealthy and at right. least depression and anxiety and other types of things that come out of that. And so, but when you're doing well, okay, the company can do pretty well and the people will feel better in one sense. And vice versa, when employees are sick, they don't perform as well. So it hurts the organization's health. But if they're healthy, it helps the employees' health. Right. And so and all these things kind of work together uh, to eventually create what we call the quality of work life. And that has to do with job satisfaction, morale. You know, are you really committed to this organization? Yeah. You believe in that kind of thing. And all that kind of will have an influence back again on the structures and behaviors. But the, the culture work health model is really a model to help people understand how it is that the corporation really operates at that deep level of culture mm-hmm. and its influence on the behaviors and, and management systems and structures and employees on an individual basis. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. So focusing more specifically on management styles, I think we've all had good and bad bosses, (laughs) but um, how do managers and supervisors influence our level of stress in the workplace? 
Well, that's, that's great. It's probably one of the most underdeveloped areas of health promotion that we have. I had a saying that I've always said for probably decades now is good management is health promoting. Yeah. When you have a good manager. Um, it is a person that will promote the health of their employees or the people they supervise simply from the fact that they treat them in a manner that is health promoting. So what is the manner in which they do that? Well, for one, they give them control over the demands that they have, Mm -hmm. right? That's one. They make sure that they are um, rewarded for the efforts they put forward. And there are also people that are uh, treat their employees fairly and allow them or provide them with the information and participation that they need over the decisions that affect them. Um, It's really about people that have a care and a concern about their employees, I have this quote that I used from General Douglas MacArthur, and he said, if a leader has their best, uh, has their soldiers' best interests at heart, they will follow him anywhere. Yeah. That's really what it is about good managers. They have the best interests of their employees at heart. Mm -hmm. They really want them to do well. They really want them to succeed. Right. And they, they do that. I have this story about this guy who um, was a, ran a uh, textile company in Massachusetts. And in that in that company, he actually um, it burned to the ground in December and he brought them all in before a meeting, you know, in, in, in sort of a hall. And they all were there, about 250 or so odd, some odd employees. And they, they were fully expecting them to give their pink notices and that the right. company would never uh, really reopen. And he looked at them and he said, I am going to use the money to restore the insurance money to restore this company. Everyone's going to get a Christmas bonus and everyone is going to stay on payroll. Yeah. That is a person who cares about their employees. And that is a epitome of what I call a good manager. Yeah. Comment of one of the of one of the employees, they interviewed this one employee and he and they said, What did you think of that? And he said, I would fa- I would take a bullet for that man. Oh wow. You want to talk about commitment, yeah. right? And that's because he instilled leadership, trust, confidence, and he really had the best interests of employees yeah. at heart. And you can really tell when that's like a genuine thing, you know. So um, there's an ongoing debate as to whether the individual or the corporation is responsible for dealing with work stress. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, that's a great question. And it's, it goes back and forth. And it's really, it's both. All right. And it's really one organization provides the context in which workers work. And so they, they provide whether or not do the systems and structures, whether or not it's going to be healthy or whether it's going to be stressful. Mm-hmm. Just by the nature of how they um, create or um, establish the system and the context of which people do their work. But on the flip side, you have people that, you know, they have to take personal responsibility over how they perceive things and how they manage their own time and how right. they how productive they are and how they how they, you know, how time efficient they are and those types of things. So it's a combination of both. I mean, I could create high demands on your job so that are so unrealistic, even despite that you're efficient, effective, and, and have great time management, you're still overwhelmed and you still don't have control over your work. And at the end of the year, I just say, thanks, Tony. It's been a great job. But you don't <laughs> right? I mean, that, that would be an, an organizational thing. Yeah. Point. On the flip side, I could be a person that gets job, but I, I can't manage my time. I don't get things done. I, I you know, I talk too much. I, I, I have other distressors or things that are going on. And and that creates more problems and, and poor performance right. appraisal than whatever it might be. Well, that's on you, right? So there is that there is that balance that's there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but good supervisors are, you know, this is why good supervisors are worth worth their weight in gold because they either can help identify that and resolve that or ameliorate right. those problems, 
or they, you know, or, or it help people try to make those constructive changes to improve their situation, as well as the context in which they were. So then with all of this that we've talked about today, um, do you think there's a thing that's like um, an ideal work culture that would best promote health in the workplace? You know, that question has been asked a lot. You know, is there the ideal work culture? Well, yes and no. Um, <laughs> every vocation is different, right? right? Nurses are different than accountants and and, 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 you know, working in a prison is very different than working at a university. Right. And, you know, all things have their different kind of context. Um, there are what I would call ideal cultures that bring out the best in certain vocations and areas because each vocation has its own type of cultural underpinning. Yeah. If you are in banking, you're about precision, you're about, you know, money, you're about, um, you know, things related to security and sensitivities and confidence and, and investments and things like that. If you're in a prison, you're interested about, you know, you have to have security, you have mm-hmm. to have safety issues, you have to things dealing with uh, people. How do you do that? And how do you effectively uh, do your work in a manner that it can be sometimes uh, conflictual or hostile? Um, you have also things related in education or nursing. It's about caring for the patient and it's about self-sacrifice yeah. on the behalf of your patient. These things will all create slightly different um, cultural frameworks. So that's why there is no one specific ideal, but there is an ideal within the, the area in which you, you operate. But, but one thing that's really important uh, about this, too, is that when you're looking at this, I really go back to a theory that was really brought back in the 1960s, early on. It was by Frederick, Frederick Hertzberg. It was called the Motivational Hygiene Theory. And I don't think it got enough attention that it really deserved. And he identified specific things that really helped to increase job satisfaction in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And by increasing job satisfaction, it helps to decrease stress. Yeah. Right? And some of the things he mentioned was, you know, you, there, there are certain factors that people have to have in their work in order to be motivational. And he listed five. And, and one of them was, you know, work itself. Work must be challenging, meaningful, and interesting most of the time. Right. You, and so, and who does it have to be? And who determines whether or not it's meaningful and challenging? Well, that would be the person, mm-hmm. right? He would determine that. Yeah. He also said that people need achievement, the ability to use their talents, and success is attainable and there's a clear achievable goals. So you have to have something you're working for and you have to have the opportunity to do something, accomplish something at work. He also said there's, you need to have some recognition. And this is not just like, you know, here you go. Great job, Tony. See you later. Bye. Right. right? <laughs> this has to be sincere and timely praise and rewards and reinforcements, positive reinforcements for the work and behaviors that you exert at work. And then you need to have real responsibility, you know, ownership and control over your work and the freedom and the power to carry out your tasks. Right. And, and, and not just adding more workload. Right. See, you, you got to give people the ability to have some control over the demands that they have in the workplace, as I mentioned before. Yeah. And he also mentioned, you know, there needs to be some growth and advancement, you know, some pattern of way that you can move up, that you can get some promotion. Because honestly, if I told you at you started your career, OK, Tony, you have a job for the rest of your life, but you're not going to go into <laughs> it. Right? Well, I mean, after like two years, you'd be going, I'm really bored. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've mastered this position. I need to go on and do something else. You know, and those are the types of things that are necessary in order to create people high motivation within a workplace. And if you're motivated, you're not going to be as distressed as if you're demotivated. Right. Right. And those are the types of things that are necessary. And he also mentioned hygiene factors like, you know, 
having good company policies that have fair, equitable, and they're reasonable, mm-hmm. right? And there's good supervision, as I talked about before, good managers, as well as a fair salary, a fair salary. I didn't say a high salary, I said a fair <laughs> salary. Right? That's important because, you know, not we don't, don't get necessarily what we want, but it has to be fair. And then you have opportunity for interpersonal relationships. You can have people that you can get along with that you mm-hmm. could count as maybe not your best friends, but good friends at work. And that, yeah. would, that makes your life even more helpful because then you get that social support that's yeah. necessary in order to weather the ebbs and flows and stressors at work. When we're all in this together, it makes it a little bit easier yeah. than, than being isolated and by yourself. And and then and that's kind of you know the summary of what what would be most important as you relate to just trying to create a culture that would be ideal for your specific vocation. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think those were all really great points. So thank you for your thoughts on this topic. That's probably relevant for the majority of people. Um, There's lots to think about and to digest related to work stress. Um, It clearly isn't a simple subject and it was great to hear your thoughts today. Um, For more health-related podcasts and a variety of interesting articles, please check out Get Up and Do Something at quads.org. Till next time, this is Tony, your host of the Quads Uplift podcast series.